0: So, Elijah is, was basically a fugitive, a fugitive of the state of Israel, and Elisha was a traitor of the state of Israel. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is the Mira Scriptura podcast. Uh, welcome to another series, and this time we're going to be looking at the uh, Elijah, the northern Elijah and Elisha narrative. There will be seven cycles, or I don't know if they're really cycles. I don't know if Elisha and Elijah are cycles, and these are like sub-cycles, but there's like there's seven sections. I'm just going to call them cycles. Uh, but they are the Brook Carith, the Widow and Her Son, Obadiah and Ahab, Naaman's Flesh, City of Dothan, the Benadad Prophecy, and the Death of Elisha. So that means I'll be uh, doing seven episodes, and the length of those episodes will vary depending on how much text is in uh, each cycle. And there's some pretty exciting things in these uh, these mirror readings. I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, a few of them is Elijah ate the widow's son. Ahab killed Obadiah. Uh, Naaman, did, Naaman did not have leprosy. Uh, Elisha was a spy for Syria. And one of Elisha's prophecies was completely wrong. So, just a reminder that uh, I hold to what's called the supplementary hypothesis. You don't really need to know the details on that, other than to know the uh, Elisha, uh, Elijah narrative. I'm going to be taking it out of First and Second Kings. I look at a as a, a separate source, and uh, other editors and authors added on to that source later. And so, this is just the the core core source of. Elijah and Elisha. Now, I base my source attribution on the work of Tima Yore over at BibleCriticism.com, and I'll be referring to the author of the uh, Northern Elijah and Elisha narrative as M, uh, the letter M as in Miracleman, because that is what uh, Tima uh, calls that source, so I'm just going off of that. And so there's a few uh, well-known stories that are going to be missing from this uh, Elijah-Elisha narrative that uh, later authors added on later. I'll just go over those uh, authors briefly and just read you the descriptions that uh, is on BibleCriticism.com. The first source is D1, or the first Deuteronomistic redactor, That's tough to say. Uh, Primarily primarily responsible for incorporating the law of Deuteronomy into the Pentateuch and adding a layer of redaction concerned with theodicy in the books of Joshua through Kings. Uh, The second one is D2, or the second Deuteronomistic redactor, elaborates upon D1's redaction and themes. Uh, This this is going to be the redactor that uh, introduces the character of Jezebel. Uh, the third source is S, or the anti-bail source, uh, connected between connected between Elisha and Elijah of the M source. To this end, Elisha becomes Elijah's apprentice. Stories are added to both sections of the prophetic narratives which serve to make the prophets into similar figures who struggle against Baal worship. Uh, and so that's you know, That's going to culminate in probably what's the best known uh, part of that source is the, the whole Baal showdown with the, between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. So that's another one that's not going to be included in this uh, series because that comes later. And then the final uh, later author of the the Elijah-Elisha narrative is called the Final Prophetic Amalgamator has one concern, the prestige of prophets and their disciples which he impresses upon the text of Kings as one of the final authors, his narratives are preserved mostly uninterrupted uh, so that means the the episode with the bears eating the children will not be included in this series, uh, much to the disappointment of Twitter user bibl- Biblical Historical Context. But maybe I'll get to that one sometime in the future. Okay, so the primary concerns of the northern Elijah and Elisha narrative that uh, I've come to the conclusion of, and I think it's... All right, so I, I think the 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 situation was that there were these previously known prophets, obviously Elijah and Elisha. And so this northern Elijah and Elisha narrative is really reputation management. And so M, the author of this source, uh, he's going to try to save these two prophets from their bad reputations. Uh, so Elijah is was basically a fugitive a fugitive of the state of Israel and Elisha was a traitor of the state of Israel. And uh, you know, I don't really see them as like Terrible people. I just and I I kind of do think they really existed. I just think that they uh, they backed the wrong political faction, and so they were on the losing end of that. And so that's that's the reputation that they had gotten. So why did they want to save these two prophets in particular? Why not just you know shove them to the wayside and not have anything to do with them? Uh, I'm not really sure. Actually, it's, uh, it could be that Israel didn't have that many well-known prophets, or maybe these prophets were just. Uh, already associated with Israel and so it was damaging to Israel's uh, reputation Uh, part of it may be because of their names as well both Elijah and Elisha have uh, kind of the roots of of Elohim and Yahweh in their name and that's kind of one of the key issues I don't i don't know if i'd call it key issues but an issue issue that runs throughout all of the narratives is that uh, m is really pushing the idea that yahweh is the elohim of israel uh, we we saw this in the northern book of judges uh, series as well it's not in like super dominant theme that a lot of text deals with, but it is pretty much in every cycle. So it's it's not only gonna be dealing with who who was the Elohim of Israel, but it's gonna be dealing with who was the Elohim of Elisha and who was the Elohim of uh, uh, did I say Elijah, Elijah, and Elisha? And once again, I see this as uh, political propaganda. Although I see it more as religious political propaganda. I think this is written primarily to serve the uh, the elite of the Yahwish cult uh, more so than the you know the kingly government. Although it does deal a little bit with that, but this is more. I see this more as a religious power play uh, by the Yahweh cult. To um, to make their uh, to ultimately promote Yahweh. So when was this written narrative written? Um, you know, I mean, the consensus seems to be it was written uh, during the time of, of King Ahab, and that's assuming the biblical author placed King Ahab in the correct uh, place and historical timeline. Um, you know, the only thing there's nothing really in the mere reading. I don't think is that really indicates time of writing. Uh, and, you know, any more than that. Uh, other than to say that it, it was written during, or it was not written during a united monarchy. But from my mirror reading, I just uh, I can't give you much guidance uh, in that regard. Uh, there are a couple a couple of other minor. Themes that, the, uh, that M seems to be responding to or trying to push. Uh, one is presenting Yahweh as a strong war god. Uh, that was really prevalent in the uh, Northern Book of Judges. And the other one is pre- presenting Yahweh as a fertility god. Uh, these are really going to be subtle uh, issues. It's not going to be really uh, dealt with all that much, but you'll see it here and there. I'll try to point it out uh, as I go along. Uh, the other thing I, I picked up uh, or I, I realized or became came conscious of some of the techniques of, of the author of this narrative. And I thought it was really interesting because I hadn't really realized these techniques before. And they really center around the fine line between... Uh, changing the narrative and keeping the narrative the same. So the, the biblical author wants to keep the narrative the same as much as possible so that people will think it's just the same story. Um, but at the same time, he wants to change the meaning of the story. So he has to change some things, and, but he doesn't want to make it too obvious. And so there's this, uh, you know, there's this fine line that he, the, um, the, um, the biblical, biblical author has to walk to achieve this. And it's really kind of beautiful in a sense, in the sense of creativity uh, of doing this, and kind of like poetry, you have to get all these uh, pieces to work together uh, in harmony. And that's you know that's what I see the b- biblical author doing. Uh, one technique was to uh, was to use questions, uh, and it's so you're using the same you're using the same text. From the opposing narrative, uh, but you're putting it in the form of, of questions, so it takes on a new meaning. But it still has the same text, but it's just in the form of, the, of a question. So you can give, you can give the text new meaning, uh, even, if has, even if it's the same text. Uh, another technique was uh, what I refer to as time shifting. So taking an event from one part of the opposing narrative and placing it in another part of the uh, chronological order in the narrative. Now I think that the author would want to keep this to a minimum and to keep it from shifting too much. So if you took an, say you took an event from the end of the story and the opposing narrative and you put it at the beginning of the story in the biblical narrative, people are going to realize that that's a that's a big shift. Um, and that's going to be too obvious. But if you just shift it into the next section and you kind of smooth the area in between, then it's then it's not so obvious, and you can you can change the meaning meaning by shifting events around a little bit. Uh, the third one was the use of analogies. So you could have a literal meaning, and all I have to do is put like in there. And you you change you change the meaning of it. So with Elijah, there was uh, the the hand, the, a cloud like a man's hand arising from the sea, and the opposing narrative. Uh, this may have been literal. Uh, another one was Naaman's. Uh, flesh returning to him like the flesh of a child in the opposing narrative this is uh, literally the flesh of a child so just changing changing the text to an analogy can keep keep the same text for the most part but change the meaning so maybe i'll try to do a post a blog post on the different techniques of uh, of the biblical authors and how they were able to manipulate the the original, the opposing narratives. Uh, one other thing I wanted to add: uh, sometimes uh, I, I saw I saw in the opposing narrative that the opposing narrative itself may have been responding to something. Uh, there was a few anomalies that weren't really working well, and I think that's why. But at that point you're kinda you're getting into a mirror reading of a mirror reading. Which if you think mirror reading is speculative, I can can't imagine what you think about that. But uh, you know, as as I go along reading the text in the net, in these future episodes here on the series, I'll, you know, i point I'll try to point out where I see that at, as well as the different techniques uh, and pointing those out as well. Uh, all right, the next item is the mirror reading maps. This is something new that I've developed. I put that I put um, I put a little one out there on Twitter to see what people thought of it. I got some pretty good responses, and so I thought I would keep pursuing that. Now, in the past, when I've uh, done my blog post on my mirror readings, I've done like an outline uh, outline format for the opposing narratives. And this seemed, I think this was a little too hard for people to understand, uh, and it, uh, part of, partly because it's, it just shows the opposing narrative side of things. And my thinking there was, well, I just need to show the opposing narrative. People have the biblical narrative; they can read it for themselves in the Bible. So why should I do the? Biblical narrative side of things, but the I think the biblical narrative needs to be broken down in in a certain way for people so that they can understand how it relates to the opposing narrative and how they uh, you know how how the one is derived from the other. Now, uh, the one I, I I posted on Twitter was a fairly simple one. Some of these got really long or complex, and so I I still hope that it's easy to understand. Uh, there may be some mistakes. Maybe I got the wrong color the wrong shape in there occasionally uh these evolved as i was doing them and so you know i kind of get i kind of got lost in it sometimes and so it may not be precise as i as i want them to be but they should be i mean they should be accurate i i check them pretty well so should be good if you see something that's way off on them let me know Uh, They are time-consuming. I mean, it literally took me hours and hours and (laughs) hours to do these uh, me reading maps, but I think in the future it'll take less time because I kind of know what I'm doing. Although I do want to... I do actually want to change them completely for the next series. And that's because doing these maps, I realized how much of the text is echoed, meaning that the biblical narrative and the opposing narrative share a lot of the same text. And I I really... (laughs) I didn't realize to what extent that was. And so in the future, with these mirroring maps, instead of having two sides, you know, the biblical narrative and the opposing narrative, I think I'll have three sides uh, with a shared narrative and then the biblical narrative. And then uh, I may change opposing narrative to mirrored narrative or something different because I put out a meme a while ago talking about opposing narratives in the Bible, and people took that as uh, basically Bible contradictions. Uh, You know, one narrative from one section of the Bible contradicting another narrative from another section of the Bible, and that's not what I mean by opposing narrative. Uh, opposing narrative is, is the narrative that the biblical author was responding to, and it's, it's derived from the biblical, the same biblical section itself. So, uh, you know, I can understand the confusion, and so I'm thinking about changing some of my terminology to try to avoid that confusion. Uh, but regardless of how long these takes, I mean, I think they'll be help- I think they'll be helpful for you. Uh, they they help me as well. They help me to be more thorough when to to get all the pieces, uh, to make you know have an account of all the pieces. And so I think it's I think it's helped improve my work. And I re- I think they look cool. I'm really happy with them. I hope you like them. Uh, so there you go. Uh, give me some feedback if you ha- if you take a look at them uh, again these will be in the uh, the corresponding blog post uh, to go along with these episodes in this series uh, maybe I'll do maybe I'll do a video in the future to try to like just go over them and explain them a little bit in more detail uh, one of the other things I took a look at during this series was some different types of relationships so a lot of my work in the past had been Built on causal relationship, uh, finding causes and effects to support my mirror eating. Uh This time, I took a look at um, the logical different types of logical relationships. Uh, I learned about these through a website called Bible Arc or a technique called Bi- Bible Arca- Arcing or Bible Bracketing. Uh, it's a it's a way of. Uh, you, know, you can go there, com. I think is, is the website. But it's, it's a way of basically diagramming the logical relationships between the text. And I, I messed with these pretty early on, and I wasn't really sure how to integrate it into my work. But I took a look at them again during this series, and I came to realize that most of the logical relationships are are. Cause and effect in some way. I mean, they do have the kind of pure cause and effect logical relationship, but there's also relationships like, like action and result, uh, which is kind of cause and effect in, 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 just in a different way. There was just a couple or so relationships that weren't cause and effect based. Uh, one of them was temporal, the temporal relationship. And that I think that really helped me highlight this the whole time shifting technique that I mentioned earlier. And going back to the mirror reading maps, um, you know I, I don't think, I don't think the causal, causal chains, I don't think I needed to do the cause and effect for everything in both of the narratives. I think it really just comes into effect with uh, whatever whichever text is mirror read or is mirrored. And so, on my next mirror reading maps, I may not be so concerned with that, um, which I think will make the mirror mirror reading maps simpler, cleaner, and more easier to understand. So, some things I'll be looking at doing in the next series uh, to improve my methodology is looking at how to show what's what's more speculative and what's less speculative. you know, how to show Barclay's criteria, uh, who talks about frequency and variation. So, you know, if the biblical author says, or if uh, Abraham, you know, Abraham keeps referring to Isaac as as his son a hundred times during the narrative, then you can be more certain that the opposing narrative was saying that Isaac was not his son. Uh, so I'll be taking a look at that. I'll be taking a look at is trying to show the quality of the cause and effect. I think uh, some causal relationships are, are stronger than others, and really looking at you know, why that is. Uh, also, there's kind of a foundational aspect of, of the mirror reading where you have uh, you have basically. <sighs> Uh, when I'm mirror reading, I'll have a few strong pillars where I f- where I feel I have a lot of the e- a lot of evidence to mirror, to mirror those to mirror that text. And so I can use those pillars to uh, deal with the rest of the text that is more speculative or I'm not sure of. And I can kind of tie that into those pillars and I can be more certain because I have those pillars to, to, to sit, sit the rest of the text on. If that makes sense. So I'll be trying to show that in my work in the future. I don't know if that's possible or even practical. Uh, it just maybe be too time-consuming to quant- quantify the quality. If that makes sense. <laughs> I think that's opposing terms there. But um, somehow show the quality of, of each, each line of text. Um, I don't know, we'll see. Alright, theological meaning. Once again, I think there's very little theological meaning in this narrative. Uh, like I said earlier, I think this is primarily propaganda. You have Yahweh being pushed as the God of Israel. If you want to call that theological meaning, okay. Uh, you know, Yahweh is the God of Elijah and Elisha maybe that's theological meaning you have a little bit of the strong war god and fertility god uh, aspect of things you know maybe you could say that's theological meaning but really there's just not much there in my opinion uh okay well i think that's uh, i think that's going to do it for this introductory episode uh, i just want to say, say a quick thank you to jc murphy for helping me helping me with some of the re- research materials uh, next on the list to mirror read is uh, Amos, which is a little bit, uh, it's a new genre for me, although uh, I see Elijah and Elisha, and once they're split off by themselves, they are kind of prophetic writings, but this uh, Amos is, has more oracles, and I haven't really dealt with oracles too much, a little bit with Balaam in the Eloist uh, series, but it'll be interesting to see how, how Amos shakes out. Uh, if you like this podcast, be sure to leave uh, a five star iTunes review for me. That be that would be appreciated. Also, share my work on uh, on Twitter or wherever you share things on. If you have a question or anything, be sure to hit me up on Twitter. My handle is at MiraScriptura. And if you want to help financially support my work, you can go to my website mirrorreading.com, and go to the support page on there. Okie dokie. I think that is it for today. Thanks for listening.